Please turn back in your Bibles, if you're not already there, to Galatians chapter 2. We continue to walk through um, this book together. Uh, before we do, um, just a, a quick word of thanks. Uh, Lori and I were able to see, be introduced to little Kiera yesterday. Um, for those of you who don't know, it's the newest addition to Providence Church, uh, Axel and Darlene's uh, beautiful new baby. And Darlene asked me to, um, from them, give a personal thank you to Providence Church for your prayers. And for those of you who have uh, joined the meal train and taken uh, meals to them, they are so appreciative and thankful, especially for your prayers, because it was not a, a, a completely uneventful um, birth. And uh, we are praising God for his protection. Uh, we have one to go. Uh, it's the Providence Church um, church growth strategy. <laughs> I'm kidding. <laughs> you know, I was going to, as uh, George read this passage this morning, I was going to entitle this message, The Clash of the Titans, which would not be totally inappropriate, uh, two titans of the faith. But after thinking about that and, and what's happened here, I figured, you know, two tidings of the faith are clashing over the gospel. But in reading through this passage, I thought, you know, that's not exactly the takeaway uh, from this passage. It is the story, and it's an, it's an amazing story. But the, pas the, the takeaway from this passage is actually in verse 14 of, of um, verses 11 through 14. In the first part, he says, but when I, when I saw that their conduct was not in step with the gospel. That's really the takeaway from this passage that um, yeah, we want to look at in what ways was, was Peter not in step with the gospel? And what does that mean to be in, in step with the gospel? And, and how do we not make the same mistakes of not being in step with the gospel? And so with that in mind, this morning, we'll, we'll talk about that. That's, uh, it, it's actually entitled In Step with the Gospel. Um, are we indeed uh, in step with the gospel? You know the background here. We've talked about the background. Uh, Paul and Barnabas were sent uh, by the church in Antioch uh, on a missionary journey, and they planted churches in the area of Galatia and in, in Asia Minor, what today Turkey in, in Acts chapters 13 and 14, they planted churches in, in Pisidian Antioch. It's not the same Antioch as the church they were sent from. There were a number of Antiochs back in that time. But Pisidian Antioch and Iconium and Lystra and Derbe planted churches teaching the gospel of salvation by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, plus, plus nothing. That is the gospel. Judaizers, and I think they're called Judaizers because that's what they do. They Judaize people. They make people uh, Jewish. These Christian Jews came following behind Paul with a different gospel, saying something probably like, you know, Paul's a good brother. Um, he's not really an apostle. Um, you know, he... he he sometimes preaches a gospel that's an easy believism gospel that you only need to believe Jesus is the Messiah. Um, 
But you actually need to believe a little bit more than that. You need to believe Jesus is Messiah, but you need to be circumcised. You need to become Jewish-like. That is the gospel they would preach. And whether they're sincere and sincerely wrong, or whether they're just uh, trying to save the traditions of their Jewish faith, Paul looked through that, and he cursed them in chapter 1, verse 8 and 9, and he cursed anyone who preaches a different gospel that is really no gospel at all. He said, may they be anathema, may they be cursed, may they be under the curse of God. And you think, why? Why so harsh, Paul? Why, why are you pronouncing curse on, on them? And, and why would that include um, even Peter, perhaps? because he's living a different gospel. Why so harsh? And I believe it's because Paul understood that if they succeeded, if the Judaizers succeeded, then the true religion of the gospel by faith alone and Christ alone only will be destroyed. It will die. And following Christ will then become just one more of the many false religions of the world. You know, there are many religions in the world. Um, we see that actually uh, beginning all the way back in, in Genesis. You remember the story of Genesis? Um, there were false religions. You may not, you may not recall that, but uh, there, are, there have been false religions since the beginning, since the very early chapters of Genesis. And you know, there are many religions in the world. And you think, why so many religions? And I think it's because God has put... Uh, eternity in man's heart and man uh, senses that there's something greater than himself and and he wants to know how do I get to God and so uh, all of these religions around the world have formed because man cannot get to God you know Satan is not interested in wiping out religions as a matter of fact it's much simpler if he just distorts religion you know, C.S. Lewis, Lewis wrote a book called Screwtape Letters. In the Screwtape Letters, there's this young demon. His name is Wormwood. And Wormwood, he likes being a, de a demon. He likes to uh, scare Christians. He likes to make them know that demons are around. And, and Wormwood had a, a mentor. His name was Screwtape. And Screwtape told him, you know, you're making a mistake. You don't need to go around scaring people. You don't need to uh, scare them to make them afraid of you. What do you need to do? And he, and he said in, in that book, he, says, he said, the safest road to hell is a gradual one. The safest road to hell is having people who believe something that's not the true gospel. And they are gradually working their way to hell. You remember in Genesis chapter 1 and 2, there was, in the beginning, there was no religion, was there? There was no, how do I get to God? There, Adam and Eve had, had no uh, question of how do I get to God? Why? Because they walked with God. They were in communion with God. It was a, it was a perfect world. It was a perfect garden. He said, this is your garden. Make it your own. And they walked with God. But then in chapter 3, that perfect garden, they're living in the garden, the perfect garden, and he says, you know, 
You can do whatever you want in this garden, but there's one thing you, you can't do. It's eat of this particular tree that's in the middle of the garden, the, gar- the tree of the knowledge of, of good and evil, because if you eat of that tree, you will die. And you know the story? They did eat of that tree, didn't they? And what was the difference between, uh, between Adam and Eve before they ate of that tree and after they ate of that tree? Well, in chapter 2 of Genesis, verse 25, it says, And the man and the woman were naked, and they were not ashamed. There was no sin. There was no shame. They were naked, and they were not ashamed. And they eat, they, they, they sin at the beginning of, of chapter 3, and they eat of the garden. And what was the difference? In chapter 3, verse, verse 7, it says, So the woman saw the tree was good, and she ate. Uh, so the woman... Um, she gave it to Adam and in verse 7 it says then the eyes of both were open and they knew that they were naked and what did they do and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths there was shame before sin there's no shame after sin there is shame and what do they do they sew fig leaves together to cover their shame what is that a symbol of? It is a symbol of, of man trying to work his way back to God. He himself is sowing fig leaves to cover up his sin, to cover up his shame, to, to make his way back to God. They were afraid. Why? Because they expected death. And so they tried to cover up their shame. They hid from him, we're told. And, and what came next? The curses came. The curse on, on man and the curse on woman and the curse on nature and there was separation from God. But in chapter 3 of Genesis, verse 21, we read these words. Verse 21, And the Lord God made for Adam and for his wife garments of skins and clothed them. What is significant about that? The significance is this. It is a sign of grace from God. It is the first death in the Bible. And it is the death of an animal. And it is a picture of an animal, and he covers them with the skin of animals. I, this is the first picture of the substitutionary death of Christ. Because Christ is the Lamb of God. He died for, as a sacrifice for our sins, and he covered us, not with his skin, but he covered us with righteousness. That is a beautiful picture of the gospel. Well, Cain and Abel come along, and you know the, their story, and this is, this is the point of, of, of all of this kind of excursus. Um, there was a right way and a wrong way to offer sacrifice to God. God had shown them the right way. It was, it was the sacrifice of animals. And, you know, Adam and Eve didn't have what we would call a great legacy. They, they left really a legacy of sin, didn't they? But they did, I think, pass along to, to Cain and Abel the things that God had taught them. And Abel gave a, a sacrifice of, of a sacrificial lamb. And Cain gave a sacrifice of what he grew, what his hands had produced, his works. Abel gave a sacrificial lamb. And ever since, ever since that time, False religions have followed Cain. 
And I believe this is what is at stake in Galatians. That if Paul does not correct this problem, if Paul does not correct Peter, and if Paul does not correct the understanding now of the Galatians, that the cross of Christ becomes a works religion. It becomes just like every other false religion in the world. It becomes a religion of Cain, and Satan wins. So Paul fights for the gospel. Remember, Paul does this with, with four arguments, and we've, we've talked about three of those arguments so far, and, and we'll talk about the fourth today. But for Paul, this is not, this is not about Paul. This is about the gospel. However, the Judaizers have, have succeeded in attacking Paul and attacking the gospel, so he begins by countering the arguments of, of the Judaizers who said perhaps he's not a true apostle, he doesn't teach the full gospel, and he gives these arguments. Remember the first argument is in verses chapter 1, verses 11 through 17. He says, I received this gospel by revelation. What I received did not come from these apostles. It came directly from God. And he says in chapter 1, verses 18 through 24, not only was I independent from them, not only did they not give me this gospel, God gave me the gospel, but I have never even really associated with them. As a matter of fact, when I was there for 15 days, I, I saw Peter I had lunch with James, uh, and after three years, I came back, and I, I, had, I had this time, but even the churches of, Jude, of Judea did not know me. If I had been there with the apostles, they would have sent me to all of these churches, but they didn't know me. What, what did they do? They praised God because they heard that God had worked through my ministry. Then we came to chapter 2, verses 1 through 10, two weeks ago, a couple weeks ago. And Paul says, you know, even though I was independent from them, I spent some time with them. We had a meeting, and I was with the pillars, the ones who, who are important, Peter, James, and John, and all of the disciples. And what did they do? They recognized God's work in me, not because of them, but because of Christ. And they gave me the right hand of fellowship. And they said, Paul preaches the gospel that is from Christ. And they affirmed him. And so Paul's fighting these arguments, and he comes now to argument number four today in verses 11 through 14. Paul's going to do something significant. He's going to call out Peter. Peter, the pillar of pillars the leader of the, the apostles in Jerusalem. And Paul says, Paul has the true gospel. And he says, I called out the leaders of, of the apostles in, Ju in Jerusalem. Why? Because he failed to live the truth of the gospel. Therefore, the Galatians need to listen to Paul. They need to not listen to the Judaizers because they are preaching a different gospel, which is not a gospel, making it the religion of Cain, a gospel of works, a religion of works, a false religion. So what do we want to see today in these short verses, verses 11 through 14? 
I think it's this. That living in step with the gospel, living in step with the gospel means to preach the gospel boldly. It means to live the gospel consistently. And it means to enjoy the gospel freely. We're going to come to that conclusion by looking at some of the things that happen in these verses. And those, those things are this. The first one is this. That being in step, being out of step with the gospel begins with fear. It begins with insecurity. And secondly, fear leads to hypocrisy. And thirdly, hypocrisy leads to legalism. It leads to a false religion. First of all, being out of step with the gospel begins with fear. Verses 11 and 12. Paul begins with a bold statement in verse 11. It's almost like a, he wants to shock them into what he's about to say. In verse 11 of Galatians chapter 2, but when Cephas, which is Peter, the Aramaic name for Peter, when Peter came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face because he stood condemned. That will get their attention. A bold statement. He begins both in, in, uh, in verse 11, he begins with this statement about opposing Peter publicly. And in, and in verse 14, he actually comes back to that he says in verse 11, I pose him to his face, and we think, well, was that private or was that public? Well, verse 14 gives us the answer to that. He says, but when I saw this conduct was out of step with the truth of the gospel, and I, saw their con uh, I said to Peter, Cephas, before them all. This was a, a public opposition, face-to-face -face confrontation with Peter. And in between those two verses, 11 and 14, and verses 12 and 13, he explains why, why Peter stood condemned. There's so much we don't know uh, in this very important confrontation. Paul doesn't tell us everything. We don't know why Peter was in Antioch. We don't know when Peter was in Antioch. All it says is, but when Peter, or Cephas, to Antioch. We don't know when that was, uh, probably because they knew. It's it probably kind of like him saying to them, remember when Peter was in Antioch. This was uh, something that was, was well known to them. We don't know when that is. Uh, we don't know why he was there. We do have uh, a bit of a clue in, in Acts chapter 12, but um, really uh, that's about all we have is a, a clue. In Acts chapter 12, verse, 12, verse 17, um, says this, verse 17, um, verse 16, Tell these things to James and the brothers. Then he departed and went to another place. There was persecution. Uh, James was killed and Peter was in prison and Peter was going through persecution. And after he got out of prison, all, all we're told is he went to a different place. Was this the time he was in Antioch? Possibly. Possibly he went to Antioch because of, of the persecution. But all we know is he went to another place. We don't know when. We don't know where. Um, what we do know is that Paul 
just cuts to the chase right here. And he says, what we do know is that Paul opposed him to his face. Paul opposed Peter publicly because this was a public problem. Why did he act so boldly against a pillar of the church? He says, because he stood condemned. Peter had put himself in a, in a position or a state of being condemned. Not that his actions condemn him, not that other people condemn him, but I believe the only, the only thing that makes sense in this context is that Peter stands condemned by God. That is why the strong act, uh, opposition of Paul to Peter. Paul makes a shocking statement about the leader of the Jerusalem church, and now he takes a step back. In verse 12, he begins to explain the situation. Peter had been eating with his Gentile brothers and sisters. And I don't think that simply he'd been having communion with them. He'd been, he'd been sharing in the love feast, which they would have a meal uh, before communion. They would wash each, wash each other's feet. I don't think it's simply that he was sharing communion with them. I think he was enjoying a rack of ribs with them, actually. And I think he was enjoying that because verse 14 says he was living like a Gentile. Peter's a Jew. This is prohibited. Leviticus chapter 11 talks about the food laws, the clean and, and unclean animals. The tradition of the Jews is that they were not even allowed to eat with Gentiles or eat food off of Gentile plates or food sacrificed to Gentile idols. Gentiles are unclean. So what was Paul accusing Peter of? He doesn't say that either. We may, we may never know. Was he eating food sacrificed to idols or was it uh, food that was prohibited in Leviticus or uh, food that was not properly tithed? Was he simply eating too frequently with Gentiles? And it was really not a matter of food. It was, it was a matter of the company that he was keeping. Why would Peter, a Jew, eat with the Gentiles. Because God had told him he could. Remember Acts chapter 10. Remember the story of Cornelius. The Gentile centurion. He had had a vision and, and God had said, you know, you need to send for Paul and have Paul or Peter and have, have Peter come. And he does. And Peter has a vision in, in chapter 10. And he says, you know, the, the vision is that you need to go. And heavens were open. There was like a sheet come down. All kinds of animals and reptiles and birds of the air. And there came a voice, rise, Peter, kill and eat. What was Peter's response like a good, good Jew? By no means, Lord, for I have never eaten anything that is common or unclean. And the voice comes back to him, second time, what God has made clean, do not call common. Paul had this clearly laid out for him by, by God, and, and though it says that he was still uh, somewhat perplexed by what he was seeing, he went and he, he met with Cornelius, and uh, uh, he's talking to Cornelius, and he said to them, you yourselves know how unlawful it is for a Jew to associate with or visit anyone of another nation. 
But God has shown me that I should not call any person common or unclean. Paul got the point. It wasn't about the food. It was about the people. He said you can eat anything that's clean or unclean. What did that do? That opened up, that opened up fellowship with, with Gentiles, with a centurion. So Peter opened his mouth saying, Truly I understand that God shows no partiality, but in every nation anyone who fears him and does what is right is acceptable to him. At the end of that chapter, verse 45, it says, Can anyone withhold water for baptizing these people who have received the Holy Spirit just as we have? And he commanded them to be baptized. Peter says, They know Christ has been put to death. They know that God raised him from the bed. They've heard the gospel. Everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness. Period. And he even stated that in the report in chapter 11 to the church. He said, if God has given them the same gift as he gave us, how could I stand in the way of God? What God has made clean, do not call common. But Peter's in Antioch. He was enjoying his newfound freedom having some good food and he was liking it. That's the vision of the gospel. One people of God from all nations. And he was enjoying that freedom until we're told certain men from James arrived. Certain men from James arrived. You know, we don't know what their relationship is with James. That's another thing we're, we're not told. We don't know if they accurately represented James, if James was teaching this, or if they used James and did not accurately represent him. I kind of uh, lean toward that view, that, that they were not representing James in the way that he would have represented himself. But for sure, they were the conservative Jews. They were protecting their Jewishness. They may have been part of the party of the circumcision. There was a very conservative part party. If, if not, uh, they were at least in agreement with that party. Those were the, the zealots, and the zealots were bringing persecution on anyone who did not hold to the conservative Jewish view. We know at least they had contact with, with the party of the circumcision. And we're told that it's out of fear that Peter withdrew and separated himself from the Galatian believers. He drew back and he separated himself. The church in Antioch was probably a, a conglomerate of small home churches, homes all over the, the city of Antioch. It was a city of 500,000 people. It was a big place, and they probably came together from time to time for apostolic instructions and, and for co community but he was probably invited to all the homes, the, the Jewish Christian homes, the non-Jewish Christian homes, and he was, he was enjoying that fellowship. And he stopped. He stopped accepting invitations into the homes of, of the non-Jewish Christians in the Church of Antioch. You know, Josh said last week that um, finger food is not fellowship, and that's a very true statement. 
Fellowship is what we have. It's not what we do. We have fellowship together in Christ. We strengthen each other in our fellowship by confessing our sins. And, and we strengthen each other by praying together and by singing songs and by partic- partaking in communion, doing evangelism together. That's how we strengthen what we have, that fellowship. But in biblical times, sharing food was a sign of who's in and who's out. In Genesis chapter 43, remember the story of Joseph. We won't go back there and read it just because of of time. But when his brothers came, and his brothers were there, and Joseph was there, and the Egyptian soldiers were there, we're told that his brothers ate separately, he ate separately, and the Egyptians ate separately. Why? Because the Egyptians, it was an abomination for them to eat with Jews. And so it wasn't just Jewish. It was a sign of, of who's in and who's out and who you associate with. And remember in, in Luke 15, the, the Pharisees were offended at Jesus because he, he did what with sinners? He ate with them. And they were out. And Jesus didn't really care uh, what the Pharisees thought. Um, Paul even in 1 Corinthians chapter 5, he talks to the church and he's talking about hypocrites and those who say one thing and do another. And he says, don't even eat with those people. And so there was a significance to this table fellowship. It was a sign of, of grace and it was a sign of community and it was a sign of that Gentiles and Jews are equal. Salvation is for everyone. There's one Messiah for all nations, every tribe, tongue, and nations, whether Jew or Gentile. You know, I, I love Providence Church. One reason is because we're, we're such a picture of the gospel. I love when we eat together. You talk about all tribes, tongues, and nations, you're, you're really talking about Providence Church. We are a picture of what, what Peter should have been with the Galatians. But he separated from them. Table fellowship that had been a sign of of unity and and community had now become a sign of separation. And the problem was not food, but social exclusion. We would call it racism. That was the message Peter was sending. That you are not in with God unless you become like me. And because of fear, Peter was afraid. You know, Peter's taking a beating in this passage, but uh, Peter's really a lot like me and a lot like you. You know, sanctification is not, you know, we just continue straight up. It's really hills and valleys, isn't it? We two, two steps forward, one step back, and that's what Peter's doing. He even, he had a problem with peer pressure, even, uh, you remember, his, his denial of Christ. You were with him, no, I was I don't even know him. But Peter became a great man of God and a leader of the church. Now, we don't know who these people are that he, whom he feared, uh, but we do know he was afraid of them. Maybe it was persecution, as in uh, Acts 12 talked about. Maybe it was a um, good-hearted thing that was wrong. Maybe he was thinking about the Jews in Jerusalem and and the gospel of spreading the gospel to the Jews, and would any of them come to Christ if if they thought or they saw that Gentiles didn't have to? Maybe he was he was 
pressured into doing something for the Jerusalem church. Or maybe he thought he was going to lose his status in the Jerusalem church. These guys were from, from the Jerusalem church and they took back a bad report about Peter. Is he afraid of, that his status will be um, lowered? We don't know. But who do we fear when we're challenged in the gospel and we don't say anything? Or people who place rules uh, of acceptance. You need to do this to be accepted by God. Paul wrote to his young son Timothy in the faith in 2 Peter 1. He says, you've been given a spirit, not a spirit of fear. You've not been given a spirit of fear. You've been given a spirit of, of boldness, of courage to stand for the gospel, to preach the gospel. Why is that important? Because fear, if we don't stand for the gospel and we fall into fear, fear leads to hypocrisy. And that's verse 13. Verse 13, even uh, Jews, Jews, um, Jewish Christians in the Antioch church, they followed Peter. Even Barnabas, we're told, followed Peter's hypocrisy. It was a domino effect. The leader, the leader messed up and everybody who followed him messed up. What is hypocrisy? Well, originally it was a, the word was a theatrical term. It just, mean, it just meant to, to play a part. They would have different masks. You've probably seen the thespian mask, the, the sad face and the happy face, and, and they would play a part on stage. A person wore a mask to act out of scene. It's, it's play acting. It's a role. It's being someone you're not. And in the Bible, it became a negative term uh, of sin, of, of not living by your values, your biblical values. And so Peter, after Acts 10, after Acts 11, reporting to the church, after eating with the Gentiles in the Antioch church, he now, because of fear, plays a role that is not who he is. See, this is not a theology issue. Peter knew this is a sin issue. Peter was playing someone that he knows was in contradiction to his own convictions. That's hypocrisy. Peter did not see Gentiles as second-class citizens in the kingdom, though he acted like it. His choice to withdraw from these believers spoke volumes to them. It signified that they didn't have equal status in the Messianic community. They might believe Jesus is the Messiah, but if you're not a Jew, if you don't partake in circumcision, you're not in. It implied that the Gentiles would have to be Judaized. They would have to be circumcised in, in order to be part of the people of God. And Paul saw this for, for what it was. Not a social issue, but an issue that could destroy the church in Antioch. Peter, by his life, is preaching a different gospel that is not a gospel, but a false religion. 
And if Paul does not speak up, if Paul would not have spoken up, we would still be today lost in our sins. There'd be no true gospel. There'd be no hope for a lost and a dying world. Why? Because the goal of the gospel is one people of God in Jesus Christ. And by Jesus Christ alone. You see, out of, being out of step with the gospel it begins with fear. It begins with insecurity. Fear leads to hypocrisy, which is living out of step with the gospel. And finally, hypocrisy leads to legalism. It leads to false religion, a religion of works, which is out of step with the gospel. Hypocrisy ends in a false religion. Verse 14. Let me read this for us. When I saw his conduct was out of step with the gospel, the truth of, the truth of the gospel, I said to Cephas before them all, if you, though a Jew, live like a Gentile and not like a Jew, how can you force the Gentiles to live like Jews? Paul comes back to his public rebuke of Peter. He's responding to the hypocrisy that he sees. It's apparent that Paul was not in Antioch when Peter came, and he has come back and he has observed what happened. And verse 13 accuses him of not living by their conviction. And now in verse 14, it becomes more serious, more direct. He accuses them of not living the gospel. They're not living in step with the truth of the gospel. What does that mean? What's that metaphor mean? What does it mean to live in step with the truth of the gospel? I believe it means that a lifestyle. It means living a, a Christian value system. It means living by the standard that Jesus sets, sets in all of his teachings. I think it means what he says in Philippians, conduct yourself in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. In Thessalonians, he calls it, Live lives worthy of God. Paul calls them back to the gospel. He calls them back to unity. And he does it by a public confrontation of Peter. And in the second half of, of, of verse 14, he does that. And he says, this is not, by the way, all that Paul says to Peter. Uh, this this little quote. And as a matter of fact, some people think his quote goes all the way down to verse 21 or, or at least to verse 16. But this is a summary of what Paul has to say to Peter. That a Jew who lived like a Gentile and not a Jew, you lived in freedom, Peter. You, you understood the gospel. You ate ribs and you liked them. This was revealed to you by God. You testified to it in Jerusalem. You lived it in Antioch. And now you are forcing Gentiles to become Jewish. And by the way, that word forcing is the same word Paul used earlier that Titus was not forced to be circumcised. And he says, now Peter, Titus was not forced to be circumcised, but you, you are forcing these Galatians or these uh, members of the church in Antioch to be circumcised how can you how can you do that peter 
What was Peter's response? I wonder if he says, you know, I haven't said anything to them about that. Peter would say, well, my, my grandmother used to say to my dad when she got mad at him, actions speak louder than words. Actions speak louder than words, and Peter, your actions are showing a false religion. Legalism is any rule, any regulation, any action or standard that is needed to be achieved to gain God's approval. And Peter, you're saying they need to be circumcised. Anything other than the grace of God uh, by faith alone in Christ alone is a false religion. What do we do with this? We're not told the outcome. We're not told how Peter responded. Uh, you know, did Peter repent? Was Paul, did Peter get angry, go back to Jerusalem, and Paul was banned from Jerusalem for the rest of his life? Did, did they ever reconcile? I believe they did. I believe the words of Peter uh, indicate that. The last words of Peter in Second Peter chapter 3, the last words that we have written by Peter, he says this, Therefore, beloved, since you are waiting for these things, what were they waiting for? They were waiting for the new heavens and the new earth, the return of Christ. Since you're waiting for these things, be diligent to be found by him without spot or blemish and at peace. And count the patience of our Lord as salvation, just as our beloved brother Paul also wrote to you according to the wisdom given him, as he does in all his letters when he speaks, uh, when he speaks in them of these matters. There are some things in them that are hard to understand, which the ignorant and unstable twist to their own destruction as they do the other scriptures. You therefore, beloved, knowing this beforehand, take care that you're not carried away by the error of lawless people and lose your own stability. I think people, Peter learned that lesson. I think what would Peter say to us today as we look at this passage, and I think we can conclude with this. Peter would say, the gospel, the gospel, the gospel. Define the gospel. Believe the gospel. Preach the gospel. Contend for the gospel. And then live in step with the gospel. Not in fear of men, but in the freedom and grace of God through faith alone in Christ alone. And then, treat each other how God treats you. Live in His grace, led by His Spirit, grounded in His Word. I think that's what Peter would say to us today. And those would be good words. Live by the grace of God, led by the Spirit of God, grounded in the Word of God.